Welcome to Making Docs. I'm Caroline, a freelance documentary director. And I'm Paul, an aspiring documentary film producer. Follow us on this journey where we speak to industry professionals to get practical advice on the filmmaking process. In this episode, we meet with BAFTA award-winning editor Joby G, who has been editing factual film and TV for over 30 years, to learn more about the process and challenges of editing feature-length documentary films. Welcome to the show. Thanks. We've got a bunch of questions for you, but I'd like to actually start with your name a little bit as well, because... Joby G. You is, said it was Joby G. I, I was like, no, if he had that name, it would be Joby G, G yeah. of course. G. That's from oh. the north. That's my name. That's okay, it. That yeah, I didn't make it up. <laughs> I was giving it. It's from the north, so I'm sure if you got up north. I love it's it. It's a great artist name already. You didn't, you didn't even have to invent one. <laughs> How long have you been editing for now, Joby? Well, I started off as a runner in 1984, making tea and all that for a corporate video company just by the post office tower. And then worked my way up into the edit suite. They had um, some film cutting rooms and an online suite. This is before offline. They, but they also let me go on shoots and sound recordings and dubs and everything. They let me. They were really nice. Let me go wherever I fancied. And I ended up kind of gravitating towards the editing stuff because it was there and I could use it. And it was really expensive. But they would just say, "Oh, use it on the weekend. That's fine. You'll learn it." Mm -hmm. And I had a really nice boss who wanted to take me under his wing, so I became a trainee assistant editor with him making 50 pounds a week and then kind of slightly started to do the easy things and then the slightly less easy things and then ended up editing the sort of normal things alongside the main editor whose name was Hamilton Hawksworth so that's a pretty good name for you yeah uh, but anyway so so yeah so 35 years ish 35 years mm. and I think you mentioned to me off uh, before that you've edited is it 20 feature documentary films is that yeah right? probably about that about 20 ish sort of long more than an hour films so is that for cinema or is that for tv probably about or? five or six cinema and then probably about five or six tv ones end up in festivals first and then probably about 10 tv ones it's amazing is, experience is there any difference like in terms of approach if you go for a tv documentary or a feature film like yeah money is one of them so <laughs> not for me but for what ends up on screen. Okay. So if it's a cinema film, you're going to have a lot more time in the dub. Mm -hmm. Typically about a week from when you press, you know, you, you mm -hmm. do your final export. There's about a month's work they do on the sound, doing dialogue and music and uh, pre-mixing and sound effects and all that stuff. So there's about a month's work on the sound usually, unlike two days that you get on a TV thing. The grade might be a week. I did 14 days on my last film, The Grade. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. Often the people on it will have had more time to think about things and mm -hmm. to get stuff ready before they film it rather than just like madly running around the place filming things. <laughs> so there's usually more thought. Uh, there's usually a lot more people on them. So when you have a screening, you'll have mm -hmm. 20 people sometimes watching it in a cinema. You know, so you've got 20 opinions that you have to take into account. Yeah. They're not always the same. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but you're also allowed much more time to create a first cut. You're allowed. I mean, I haven't even shown anyone this film yet, and we're 16 weeks in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it's quite a big difference. Yeah, what are you working on, as you said now? I'm currently uh, making a film about an evangelical Christian group called Hillsong. For, it's a storyville. And we're looking at it because we're sitting here in your very, very fine editing room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it yes. fine, but it's, it's perfectly Soho-ish. 
So it's your <laughs> editing suite uh, in the building of Molinar, who are the UK's leading post-production house for f- documentary feature yeah, films. Yeah, Molinar are the best, the best place to do your your feature doc, really. I've done about six or seven here in a row. Yeah, I mean, they're the best, really, I'd say. Other people do it well, but, I mean, you should have a tour. I mean, they've got a massive cinema across the road, where, which is a grading cinema, but you can also have screenings in there. So so do you work for them, or are you, are you no, working I'm free, here? I'm freelance, yeah. You're freelance, so you rent this place? Yeah, I'm actually working at home tomorrow, um, um, so I kind of divide my time between home and... Home and the office, because it saves 45-minute commute if I work at home. The director's not in, so it's just easier just to work at home. Yeah. So I've got an exact copy of the rushes and project at home. So you rent this place because of the suite that they have? Is that, is that it, mainly all the... Uh, yeah, I mean, they're all the same. I mean, it's just an avid, an avid's an avid, really. You can rent it now. I rent it for £200 a year, I think it is. Mm-hmm. When I started, there were £75,000. Yeah. So um, it's a big <laughs> it difference. It got more accessible. It's a big difference. So, well, so you rent... You can rent Avid for 200 quid a year, the programme. Oh, the programme, yeah. I was yeah. Gonna yeah. Say the but no, I just run it off an iMac, my my iMac, which is, yeah. you know, like a regular iMac. It's three-year-old. It used to be something for own, really professional or pro- yeah. like production companies only, but yeah. yeah, it got more accessible. I don't know how offline places sort of stay yeah. open, really, with, with that option. I mean, I've got a sort of eight-year-old telly I play on at home, <laughs> and, you know, I made plenty of films on that. Yeah. And we're looking at three screens. What are they? Can you explain a little bit more? Uh, yeah, I mean, Avid, the sort of traditional Avid setup is um, a three-screen one, which is two monitors, which have your program, the Avid program running on it. So on the left-hand side is kind of your bins and your mm-hmm. project and some of the audio. You can have it however you want, but some of the audio facilities. And on the right-hand side is your timeline, which is a sequence mm-hmm. you're making, and your, uh, your record, your, the sequence uh, video in video and audio uh, display and your rushes uh, and then there's a third monitor which is a tv just a regular tv you can have a fancy one or not or a projector or whatever you want <laughs> to I mean, see the finished product yeah just to see it like yeah. you would normally see it so that's quite a small tv obviously big ones are quite good as well mm-hmm. sometimes i just get really close to it <laughs> and you choose avid because it's it's better it's the industry it. standard it's what i've used since 1991 and um yeah i know it inside out so it's the industry standard, not Premiere or Final Cut. It's no. Avid is. Yeah, the I think one. probably Avid will be more than half the share of you know. And why would you say that is? What What are the advantages of using? Well, it's Avid? been around for so long. Right. It's, it's pretty. It doesn't really change much. Although it does, it doesn't. Right. So you know you can easily pick it up again if you haven't used it for a while. Uh, the quality's good. It's fast. Everyone knows how to use it. Mm-hmm. Is there much yeah. difference between? Premiere and Avid Day in terms of the functionality. I mean, it, it well, does the um, same thing, but... I'm not an expert on Premiere, no. but I think that you don't have to um, transcode rushes, so you don't have to copy rushes to make them lower res, which is pretty handy in Premiere. You can just feed them straight in and start editing, yeah. which you can do in Avid, but it's more fiddly. But I think Premiere isn't as good at handling a vast amount of material. Like I said, there's sort of 400 hours I've got in this Avid, and I think Premiere would struggle with that. Yeah. Well, I think Avid, <laughs> Avid does it in its sleep. So if you could explain a bit about the practical process that you follow to edit a feature doc, if you can give us kind of a linear journey of of how you work in a kind of an overview, would it be that you you get hired to start with and we say, Joby, we've got this project. So from the phone calls sort of thing? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, Well, I do, I've sort of specialised in not specialising in things. So I do lots of different things. I hate doing, I would never do two jobs the same back to back. I'd rather die. Mm -hmm. So, um, and having decided that at a young age, uh, I now have a lot of 
uh, a wide variety of work that yeah. I can do. So I'd say if you're looking for tips, that is a good one. You know, I, I offer music films and sporting films and films about uh, observational films and films about people sitting down telling stories and archive films and mm-hmm. short films and long films and whatever films, you know. So I get offered a lot of stuff and I'm quite lucky. So I've got a good pick of things. So what I usually do is sort of wait a little bit till there's about sort of two or three films I'm interested in. And then um, decide on whichever one, whichever one I'm going to take. So you made a conscious decision not to keep editing the same yes. kind of work. Lots of friends of mine just do science films or whatever, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they might only work with sort of three or four people, directors. So they've got mm-hmm. a tiny, tiny pool of people that they can work with. And, and I haven't got that. So I probably get a phone call a day about a job. Probably. So the advantage is that you just attract more work because you've got a more varied yeah, body of work. Because someone that too. might hate sports films, <laughs> I know I know most sports films aren't actually about sport, or the ones I would like to make aren't actually about sport. They just have sport in them. But um, yes, you're more likely to be noticed because you're making a wider variety of product. Because that's what it's just product, isn't it? That's what that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so you get the opportunities. Yes. You, you so, so see one that quite that you yeah, quite fancy. Yeah. So 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 right now, um, I probably it's not a good example because I'm not allowed to talk about them. But there's there's three good films right now. There's one telly one, two cinema ones. I'm not quite sure. The one's a bit left field. One's quite straightforward, and one could go either way. So and they're all about a similar amount of time editing. They all start in a similar sort of time. They're all with people I worked with before, which um, which is good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so all really good people good you know. good yeah. no no I mean, it's good I mean no, well, the, the reason it's bad is because I also try and work with different people yeah. right. so I try and do every at least third job with someone new mm-hmm. so the job I'm working on now is with someone new and again that really expands your but is it also horizons. to make a challenge then is it challenging to work with someone new I guess yeah, I don't know I would yeah. assume but um, you always, I always meet them beforehand mm-hmm. you know to make sure that I like them and they like me yeah. a friend of mine Morgan Matthews I don't know if you know him is very Mm-hmm. respected documentary maker said I'm the only editor to ever interview him but uh yeah but it's a bit so, of a relationship in the end because you're gonna yeah. have to spend a lot of time with this you spend person. literally half a year sitting next to someone yeah. so you've got wow. to go on more than your wife yeah. or <laughs> the dog or you, have you know to the like kids that person then yeah and do you, you get involved in the beginning then is that correct? yeah of, often I get involved bef- probably sometimes before they filmed anything okay sometimes the, the, one of the jobs I'm talking about now is before they filmed anything mm-hmm. Um, two of the ones, but sometimes when they're filmed about half maybe or something, mm-hmm. and then what you try and do is you try and edit together stuff, mm-hmm. um, which then helps, informs the edit uh, and the style and direction where they can then film better stuff mm-hmm. next. You know, so you try and get involved as early as you can. Also to try and create a style because you want your film to have a, a look and a feel and whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, for me, it's very important to have a strong, a stronger look as you can uh, and get that in the bag as early as you can so you're not messing around and wasting time doing things that aren't going to go in or things that look good or sound good that won't be right for what you're trying to create and what kind of dialogue is that then so you see you say oh actually i've seen some of this footage that you're getting now it's it, like tonally it's not right or it's this is slightly different slightly different answer but if i did a film called dark horse which is about a um welsh barmaid who it's a great film i've seen that cheers yeah so um, anyway, so with that film, the director, Louise Osmond, who is a genius, went and filmed all the interviews first. So mm-hmm. she probably filmed, let's say, eight interviews, four hours each. Let's mm-hmm. say it wasn't quite that, but that sort of thing. And then we cut those 
just literally yeah. straight to tell the story. So as stark as can be, two-hour cut of the people telling their story. Mm-hmm. And then she went away and filmed, which we discussed a lot, pick-up shots, reconstructions, anything she could do to fill in the gaps because there wasn't much footage of the actual racehorse yeah. being trained or, or bred or um, even even the sort of original races. It was very little. So she had to get as much stuff as you can to cover it and make it look cinematic because it was a cinema film. Mm. Um, and so that's the sort of thing you can do. So we had many discussions about the feel. Should it be homemade? Should it be posh? You know, should it be shiny? Should it be gritty? Um, should it be on a tripod or not? Or, you know, just all those sort of conversations. And should you see people's faces or not? Or It's quite a logical way of working, actually, is, hmm. is to get the interviews first and then shape the film around that. For a past tense film like that, mm. um, yeah, it's good. Whereas this film I'm doing now is an observational film, so the guy's just literally following people around mm. and you've got less sort of control, control over that because yeah. that's him, but you've got more control over... You, you can still then request shots. You know, I want a one-minute hold on this person's face or whatever it might be. You know, you can start to get a feel for that sort of stuff and then they can then go off and grab that sort of stuff for you. And on a very practical level, how would you get the footage? Do they come with hard drives or do you Yeah, copy but tell you the truth, it's, I've got an assistant upstairs mm-hmm. who ingests stuff and things like that or there's a stack of hard drives over there. Because um, I assume sometimes you can get like 300 hours or something of footage depending yeah. on the film, right? Usually um, someone else does all that stuff. They put it all in. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay. Yeah, because no point paying me to do it. Cause no, it's your, your time. That yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, it's just it's just silly to so pay. So you've got little helpers to yeah, yeah. sort so the footage. So there's guys and... or, or guys and girls yeah. in Molinaire that do that, or wherever you might be. Envy, there's a thousand yeah. places. Or you get an assistant. On this case, I've got an assistant who's upstairs yeah. who organizes stuff um, for me. But that's quite a luxury, quite rare, and I don't have her all the time. Mm-hmm. Does that come as part of the Molinaire package? Does it no, no, she's separate. She's separate. Okay. Yeah. What would you or what advice would you give to maybe emerging filmmakers who can't hire an editor plus assistant and who still want to organize as much as possible before they hand it out to the editor? Um, what can they do? It's tricky really because although I think the best thing to do is to like know everything, know where everything is. Okay. Because I think uh, any half decent editor is going to want to like look at a lot of stuff. So if you can tell them where it is, oh, where, have you got a shot of something? Or does that person talk about blah, whatever it is, that's the sort of stuff that I'm gonna, I want to mm-hmm. know quickly. So I think if you've got your... Although organising stuff is good, I'd say to, be, to, to have it in your head um, and to be able to sort of spit it out quickly, to me, is really handy. In a way, um, yeah, unless you've shot 500 hours of stuff or something, <laughs> in which case, don't bring it all into the avid. You know, maybe yeah. just start with the best stuff. Even, yeah. even if you just start with like three scenes or something or, you know, just start to cut something yeah. and then say, oh, now we can unpack this, you know, let's go to Paris now. Whatever it is, and then you can sort of do it bit by bit, maybe. I don't know, but if you've got a lot of stuff. Most people don't have a huge amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can do. But it can be overwhelming, I guess, if you're not used to it. So the assistant logs it and then gives it to you? Or yeah, do you? I mean, sort, sort of. I mean, the assistant, so over there you can see uh, it's all done in uh, date. Yeah. So, and then she will then put who's on, who's in the um, each card uh, next to it. And then she spits them out and puts them into our translation software, which sounds very posh, but I don't think it is. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, it's called Trint. It's a, it's a new thing I've just discovered. Um, I think it's a subscription thing, but it's worth it if you've got a big film and you just spit out little um, MP4s, suck them into there, and it transcribes it 
for you. Mm-hmm. So you can get some pretty weird results sometimes, but it's way better than them. Having you know, someone, yeah. yeah. Is it yeah. Pretty, so how accurate is, is that? I'd say it's more than accurate enough to use, and I'd say it's probably about 85%, although sometimes you do get some quite funny Amazing. Quite funny ones. Yeah, because you, I suppose you need it transcribed. Do you need everything transcribed? No, but in this case, there's, we've got over 100 interviews. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And they can just search. <laughs> you could just search by word or something. Yeah. Or, so you uh, search by word. So it's just an amazing tool for you to be able to find the material that, yeah. that you need. So I, always, speed. I almost always have transcripts because, because most things... Okay, so most films I do don't have voiceover. Not um, because... I think that's better or worse, just that's the kind of films that end up being. Mm-hmm. There's usually either the director would do a voiceover, most lots of them don't want to, or you know, you get Leonardo DiCaprio in or something yeah. like that. I hate that. So we're trying to do it with that voiceover. Uh, so then you need your contributors to say everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so you sometimes really need to make sentences out of bits of spit and sellotape and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah. So you've received the material, it's logged, it goes, it's been transcribed. What happens next in the process? So on day one of sitting down, sort of just... You've got to watch it all, I just, Well, kind of. It really depends on what the film is. Sometimes I just watch something and I say, oh, I'll have a go at that. Or, just start. You just yeah, start. I, I start editing on day one, yeah. So another friend of mine, Ben Brown, who's a very good editor, he watches everything literally, he's got about five notebooks and he writes everything down, you know, everything that happens in the film and sort of gives it a sort of tick. He's got a sort of tick marker system. And then he kind of builds the film in his head and then after about four or five weeks, he then makes the film. But whereas I start editing from day one and just, I don't write anything down. I mean, it's a miracle I've got a bit of paper there. Um, uh, And I just start editing stuff. So I'll start on day one. So probably I'll say, show me something good, I'll say, or something like that, you know. Um, so you'll create a sequence and actually start to put the pieces yeah, of the puzzle yeah. together. And then I might have to think about a bit of music and stuff, and then and then I'll get bored and I'll do something else. And on the timeline, we see a lot of colors. What are they for? For different sequences, or uh, well, on the timeline, I mean, um, they're all different. But in this case, I've got four video tracks. The top, <laughs> the top track is um, captions. Yeah. Uh, so there he is, captioned. Yeah. And then the sort of second track is Archive. So if whenever okay. I put... Sorry. Yeah, anyway, the next track is Archive. And after that, the tracks are... The video tracks for the rushes of the film. So you can sort of see... So it shows you neatly how much Archive I've got. So that green stuff is Archive. So it gives you, A, the Archive researcher. It can quickly tell what Archive is in the film. Okay. And B, I can tell where Archive is easily. And then um, I've got quite a few audio tracks because I do a lot of sound effects myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, tracks one and two and three and four of dialogue, so them speaking. And then these other tracks below it will be sound effects, uh, this one, this one. And then I'll probably have music on the last, on tracks sort of 11, 12, 13, 14 or something like that. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. But you specifically choose to colour code it? No, um, no, I just, just... It just comes in that colour? No, I just sort of... Yeah, I mean, I make it, but I, I make it differently every job. Every time. <laughs> yeah, just like I just make something. Yeah. I mean, I've already can see I've got too much orange on there, so I don't like it now. <laughs> it looks like art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you've been given all this material. Uh, you've started to edit it. At, at what point then do you re-engage with the director and have, have another look at it? Or at what point do they come back in? Um, well, the director's normally there. So if it's, if it's um, 
So a film like Dark Horse, again, for instance, is the director was there the whole time pretty well, mm -hmm. minus probably like five days over half a year, <laughs> because she is on the ball, you know, big time. So, um, so in that instance, you know, she was there all the time, and that was great, fine. Other films, I did a film called The Ghost of Peter Sellers recently, and the director was barely there. He lived in L.A., so he was probably here for about maybe maybe a month, maybe sort of thing, out, out of 20-odd weeks. That film, weirdly and interestingly, uh, the producer lived in Cyprus, and so the whole film was done by Skype and we transfer and whatever. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't even meet him until the day the film came out. So that film was literally made on, by remote control. <laughs> um, you know, but completely doable. You know, just me, the director and the producer, that literally was it. And, and how do those conversations normally go? Are they heated debates? Is it quite an easy conversation? Just, um, it just depends on the characters, I suppose. Really, it really depends, yeah. There's the odd, the odd heated debate. But because I do a lot of personal films because they're mm. fun, you know, because <laughs> you can get a bit of juice out of them, you know. But um, oftentimes, the contributor, the, the person who's making the film, was also the director. The director is also in the film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got that going on, which is obviously un you know, unusual. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the director can see the light, and sometimes they, they can't. So um, I've had the odd film I've walked off because the director didn't understand what mm -hmm. the film needed to be. Uh, and I've had other films where the director just said, oh, chuck any old shit in, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so in the Peter Sellers film, for instance, the director would point at the screen and he'd just go, oh, look at the idiot. Because he was Hungarian. He'd just point at himself and uh, he was fine just looking like an idiot. And that was great. Um, but other films, people are really quite, you know, like, I don't want, my bum looks big or my hair looks bad or whatever, it, literally that sort of stuff. You know, and it's pretty hard to make a film yeah. under those sort of conditions, really. Yeah. Uh, was there ever a time where someone who was interviewed really said, I don't like this, like I look bad or whatever? Do you mean I look bad because of what I've said? Sort of thing, yeah, yeah, I look yeah, like an idiot. yeah, exactly. Like the editor. Uh, often uh, contributors don't like something that you would not expect mm -hmm. they don't like. So I've done lots of films with famous people mm -hmm. and you sort of think, oh God, you know, like they're not going to like this. Are they? <laughs> and, um, and you show it to them and they, and they love it. Uh -huh. Apart from some joke they told that their mum would be offended by or oh, okay, it's some a minor thing. Girlfriend or whatever <laughs> that they don't want seen or something like that. It's often something like that. I I did a film once about um, a guy, a lawyer called Giovanni De Stefano, who uh, defended mm -hmm. some quite bad people. Um, and uh, we asked him at the end if he um, would have liked to have defended Hitler in the Nuremberg uh, oh. <laughs> trial. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, and uh, he said, uh, yes, I would have liked to have done that sort of thing. And he was fine with that. His best yeah. friend was this guy called Arkan, who was... Serbian warlord who chopped people's heads off, uh, and he 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 wanted his best friend. His other best friend was uh, what's called Arnold Palmer, who was one of the Brinksmack guys. I think he was. Anyway, he had a lot of pretty dodgy mates, but he was totally fine. Like everything, just chuck it in, chuck it in. He didn't care. Is it the ethical decision like of the director in the end? Because I assume if you do the filming, you get permissions from yeah. that you can use anything yeah. the person just says in the interview. Yeah. Um, they don't always sign it, don't. I, I did a film about Kissing, okay. Kissinger, yeah. and he didn't sign it. Um, oh, until he until saw the he'd final. Seen it, yeah. Oh, so <laughs> you know, and he's a but he's worked for twelve presidents, so yeah. he knows what he's doing. But if he would have, like, or if people would have signed it, um, would there be an ethical approach that he said, okay, we really want this person that that person like the, likes the film? So you always, I, I think you all, 
always minus like five percent of the films want the people to like it that yeah. are in it. Yeah. You want them to like the film. You want them to sort of be behind it, and you want it to, them to see it's a kind of true yeah. representation of them. I did a film uh, once <laughs> called uh, called Gypsy Blood. We were uh, quite concerned that one of the guys in it might not like the film, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's a, he was it was about fighting gypsies so he was quite a tough character mm-hmm. and so we didn't think we'd have a viewing in the edit suite in case he went mad and like threw the computer around and stuff so we had a viewing in the cinema where you couldn't pick the seats up and we had an SAS bloke come in who pretended to be from <laughs> the BBC <laughs> just in case it went wrong so yeah you have the odd viewing like that but you know it's all, all that's the fun you do this day in day out on a practical level, what kind of equipment do you use? Do you have a special mouse that you use, like a, a special keyboard that just keeps your wrist yeah. nimble because it's so oh, right, valuable? Okay. Uh, no. I've been quite lucky. I mean, I've, I've worn glasses all my life pretty well, so I'm pretty blind. That's, but that was before I was working. Um, like I said, when I work at home, I've just got a, an old, well, it's not old, but an Apple Mac. Um, that's fine, just with a TV. So, and I bought Apple, I, just, not, just an not, iMac. Just not yeah, an iMac. Yeah, just an iMac. And I bought, uh, I bought an Avid keyboard, um, which you have to have really. I mean, you can run it without a keyboard, but it's I best didn't know to get that. One. So, Avid have a special keyboard. Yeah, there's, one, there's another one there. Um, and they are really handy because the different coloured buttons. So, yellow means kind of edit, and, and blue means moving, um, and red means sort of uh, editing as well. <laughs> so, yes, anyway, it's quite handy, the sort of colour coding. Um, so you, 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 I edit with one hand on the keyboard and one hand on the mouse, um, but I don't really need to look at the keyboard or the mouse. Well, you know, you look at the screen most of the time because you, you know it all, you know, it's muscle memory stuff. Yeah, and you don't um, have any support for your wrist. No. Um, um, the strongest wrist in the world, <laughs> I think. <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know why not, but no, I've been fine. And my back's been all right, even though I sit really badly all, yeah, you just all got the a time. Normal, you just got a normal yeah. office chair, yeah. you know, there's nothing special so about nothing it. So nothing special here. Um, let me think about any sort, of te- you know, any sort of equipment tips. No, I did buy a fancy mouse called a Logitech, which has got a few buttons you can program, which is quite handy. Yeah. But, you know, that's, yeah. just, that's just that. I haven't got a mixing desk at home or anything or... I haven't really got, I haven't got, got any speakers at home. I just use the computer speakers, yeah. which are the inbuilt ones. So for me, I'm a bit, I, I don't think you need much stuff to kind of like do things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you keep your energy levels up when you're editing from eight in the morning till eight at night? And I see some peanuts in the corner there. Is, is, <laughs> is that your standard well, diet? Let describe, on well, let, well, let me describe my day. Uh, so I, yeah, so I try and cycle in, which is good, I think, because by the time you got in like you've had five people trying to kill you and you're ready you're ready for work you know like everyone else like zombified and you know you're, you're energized so that is a good thing and then um I, I get in at nine and i work till about 12 and then we go out and get um, noodles usually or whatever so three hours solid block of energy yeah, i mean still chat and talk bollocks and stuff you know and watch i mean watched a bit of uh you know the odd clip of uh, a show called eastbound and down we watched in a bit of uh American Dad, where we watch a bit of that. Mm-hmm. So just a little bit. Sometimes you have an idea about something. Mm-hmm. So some things you watch are, are meant to sort of help us with the film, and other things you watch just because you need five minutes, not on the film, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, then I'll come, then I come back, uh, you know, like at twelve thirty, whatever, and just sort of carry on there. I leave at six, and then but a keeping, bit of sushi for lunch is that yeah, the, or noodle or whatever. Yeah. The key to like keeping the film fresh is just doing different stuff. So as soon as I get bored, I don't. In fact, I don't let myself get bored. I just move on before I'm bored. And that's the other thing which is 
I'm lucky with because I don't have that much pressure on me because usually people know the film will be all right in the end sort of thing. Um, and there's a fair amount of time to make these ones. God, I would have thought there's more pressure on you because of that. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, no, there, there, there often isn't. Um, so, because you haven't got, you're not doing Come Dine Me, which you've got to make in sort of four days or something, right. you know, and there's 47,000 other ones, you, you've got to be exactly the same as them. Yeah. Um, you're making something, and people understand it's a unique product, you know, it's something that no one else has made before. What's it going to be like? You know, who, who knows? No one knows. I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that's interesting. So, so when do you agree the timeline for the film and the edit? How, um, so when someone calls you about a job, they say it's 14 weeks or it's 18 weeks or so it's they 20 weeks. So they take that to you. Yeah, and then you say, well, it might be. <laughs> and, then, and then some of them, I'll say if it's less, it'll be less. And if it's more, it'll be more. You know, I'll say, well, aim for that. If it's a TV, th- TV thing, often they are about that yeah. because they're kind yeah. of, set up so I did a film recently called The Last Survivors which was a 90 minute film uh, which we made with no music and I thought that might could go either way but we did that exactly quite easily in the time we had allotted to us. So do you find towards the deadline it's crunch time and then you're you're editing solidly and there's no time for sushi Um, and lunch and cycling? I'm not very good at um, sort of deadlines and things like that I don't really Mm -hmm. you know I don't know you and the other thing is like when you've got a viewing you're never ready for a viewing so mm-hmm. you just got to show it when people come in. And it's a bit like, well, it's not finished. If you really want to watch it, you know, this is it. Yeah. That's kind of like, that's yeah. how it is. So, yeah. you know, so we've kept everyone away from this film so far. And like I said, we're 17 weeks in, which is a world record for me. Mm-hmm. But it's not ready to be watched. And if someone watched it now, then it's a mistake because it's not ready to be watched. It's like coming in for a meal, but not having chips with your fish or mm-hmm. whatever. It's just stupid. But luckily, people have appreciated that. We have sent bits and bobs out. Mm-hmm. I did a film once called Dogging Tales, which was quite a mad film where we had these people wear masks. And, I can uh, imagine yeah. what else happens here. Uh, Channel 4 are very, very scared, very, very scared. Um, but we sent out a sort of eight-minute clip after about the first week, and they just loved it, and that was it. It just left us to it mm-hmm. completely after that. So you try and feed people the minimum to keep them quiet and to let you get on with what you've got to do yeah. if it's a new director like the thing I'm doing now they're often a little bit more tetchy or they'll they specifically seek out a more experienced editor to work with a new director I mean this is the first thing probably over like 10 minutes I think that mm-hmm. Nick's made before so you know they story will sort me out to do this but everyone wants an experienced editor but sometimes they want a really experienced editor to work mm-hmm. with a new a new director because these are monsters these things you know they really are <laughs> they can be quite hard yeah, like this one is. Yeah, so so going back to the process then, so you've received the footage, you've the directors sat next to you, um, you're working through that with them, you're having these sometimes heated discussions, it depends. And I suppose what happens to that I mean, is it is it always just you and the director? Is it is it the producer? They then they tag team in and out? Completely that- depends. On T V stuff, I think my experience is it's mostly the director. And sometimes I'll kick them out if I don't want them around. I'll just say, look, I'll just give me two days on this. Like tomorrow, I'm just going to work at home. Mm-hmm. I might even do the next day. So I can just crack on with stuff. Because they, they want to try things often. And often, like, you either know that it won't work, or you can't be bothered, or, or it's hard, or whatever it is. So you'll say, oh, look, I just, I've got something I want to do. So I'll just sort of do that, and then I'll show it to you. And the great thing is you can send it off to them on Vimeo or whatever, and they can watch it in five minutes after you've finished it. You know, and then they can say... Is that what you use? So you use Vimeo? Vimeo, we transfer. They're the kind of two main ones. Well, there's one called My Airbridge, which is quite good for big, big files. Oh, I've um, not heard of that one. Yeah, but 
you try I try and keep files smaller because mm-hmm. otherwise we just end up polluting the internet with like these massive files of crap. <laughs> I know on Vimeo that people can leave comments now on the videos if you've got a pro subscription. I just do password protected ones, bang, straight with the director with a download option so then they can download and watch it 50 times okay, on the train if they want or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then you'll have a chat on the phone about it. And, yeah, then yeah. They'll, they'll usually send something back saying, yeah, really good or crap or try this or whatever it is and then you just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, they, 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 they've employed me because I do what I do and uh, they, they don't want often to be sort of too prescriptive because, you know, the magic, whatever you want to call it, can get a bit lost. But equally, I want to make a film that they like because it's often, often they've shot it and it's their idea, and they're the director. <laughs> so, you know, it's their film. Uh, so you've got to make sure you, you're making a film that they, that they like too. You know. So you're working towards that rough cut. What's a standard rough cut for you? Oh, so I try and keep things really tight. Like, when I do a rough cut, if I was doing a 90-minute film, I'd be really sad if it was, like, 100 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be quite... You know, that would be a kind of, like, ballparky. I hate watching what I call blobs of rushes, just, like, yeah. shit on the timeline. That really pisses me off. So when I'm working, I grade every shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put sound effects in. I do it like a drama. So you try and get it as close as you can to the yes, final Yes, I try and well. fine cut it as much as I can, make it look like it's finished, make it sound like it's finished, because A, that makes mm-hmm. viewings nicer, and B, I'm watching it every day. I don't want to watch, you yeah. know, sort of, sort of grey, boring stuff going up <laughs> and down the timeline. I want to see mm-hmm. something pretty that, mm-hmm. that I can imagine, you know, being on the telly or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Interesting, because I, I know other editors who kind of just keep chopping it down so it'll get down to like six hours and then it'll get down to four then two. yeah well, no, i do that as well so on this film here for instance um i made a bin which i cleverly call stuff and that is probably that's what i did when i sat down for the first two weeks and that is probably like eight hours of just like blobs of rushes so who's you know what are people worth what they sound like what they look like do i like them or not are they interesting do they go anywhere um, so literally that's what this is. It's eight, eight or ten hours of just stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff you're kind of doing, you, you just, you're just looking through things, but keeping things that you like the mm-hmm. feel of or whatever. So that is what I do from day one. I make these things, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't call them cuts or anything. That's why I call it stuff. <laughs> it's just stuff. It's collections. It's just things. Yeah. And then you see, so if, if someone does, you know, because you obviously you want people to go on a journey in your film, so you've got to see if these people that you like go on enough of a journey or if the world they inhabit is interesting enough. Um, so that's what I'm looking for when, in this kind of original pull of things. You know, are, are people, is there enough going on to make a film is kind of the first, literally the first thing I'm thinking. I would happily leave a project after three weeks if I didn't think there was enough to make a film, just saving everyone a lot of heartache. Would you deliver the the stuff part as well to the director no. or no? Oh, no, he can he can see final. it. I can say it to him, but yeah. I mean, no you one really just, wants to see it. Because yeah. what you do then is you unp- you, you then pull out the bits the that you yeah. yeah. So you pull out a person or yeah. you pull out a place or something, and yeah. then you start to fiddle with that. The, you never edit. I don't think I'd ed- actually edited within. No, it's just sync. You know, mm-hmm. there's no music, there's no mm-hmm. sound effects. It's so just, you'd leave a project if there wasn't enough of. Like, if I don't think it's going to work, I'm off. Right, and w- w- what are the typical traits of that? Um, well, material is the easy one. Have you got enough material to make a film? Mm-hmm. I was on one recently that didn't. What do you mean uh, by material? Because is it that they don't have enough interview 
in interviews. Well, have you got a story? Yeah, have you got enough stuff oh. to make a film? You know, I mean, I suppose my job, like, if there's one, one thing I could do well, it's like, see if you've got enough stuff to make a film. And that's what I do. So I suppose I've, got, I've just got to see, does this person go on a journey? Do you go to enough places? Is it, you know, is it shot well enough? Can you hear everyone? You know, like, basic stuff. You know, is it too wobbly? Um, quite a lot of that sort of s- s- films, you know. Yeah, so even, when you go back to them, do you say, look, you've got enough for maybe a 20-minute well, often, the, often you don't really know film. that until you start. So you right. start a film. So I did one recently, I started. And after a week, I said, look, you know, I think we're in trouble here. So I said, you know, we'll carry on, but I'm just giving you a heads up. And that's surprising. And after, yeah, after that's two weeks, I said, I said, there's just not enough here to make a film. To, to her credit, she did then go off and film a lot more stuff and did more work on it and did make a film in the end although okay. I don't think it's when you say like you don't have enough for a film do you also refer to short films so oh, would I it be really, enough to make I a don't really do short, oh, but, but I, mean, oh, I said yes so so for something like that I would say yes you've got a make 30 a minute film, film here. Okay. but often they've already got the commission to make a oh, okay. 75 <laughs> or something and they've often got the money oh. already up front do they not just that. go Joby can you not just drag this out <laughs> yeah, make it an hour might, and a half they can say that as much as they like but <laughs> I'm off um, or another film I left, um, I just did not see eye to eye. The director who was in the film yeah. just did not get it. Uh, and it got to a point, after quite a long time, 12 weeks or something, where I just couldn't take it anymore, mm-hmm. and, I, and I left. How does a situation like that um, play out? In ter- do, you, do you sign a contract before you start no, a project? No, I never project? really get contracts. So I don't quite no. know how, how it works. I was paid up, uh, so that was all right. Um, well, then, they've used your time, so I mean, they should. But at the same time, if there's no contract, it's it could become a difficult conversation. It was a good company that I worked with before, so I wasn't worried about that. And even then, I'd even lose a bit of money to to not do something that was just mm-hmm. a disaster nightmare. Yeah. But on, on that occasion, yeah, on the Friday night, I just had a Skype ding dong with her, and I just said, "I'm off. I just can't take it anymore." Mm-hmm. Uh, and two two weeks later, the producer left as well. But. <laughs> um, but uh, again, to her credit, she did finish yeah. the film and I had a coffee with her afterwards and everything's fine. And she asked me to premiere and all that. My name's on the film and stuff. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, it was just at that, yeah. time, at that time, it just was not working mm-hmm. and it was only going to get worse. How does that work in terms of the credits? Then? Are, you there, are you then as like assistant editor? Like how, how does that play uh, out? And I've just shared it with the other person that, that did it. But um, that's fine. Like I said, I mean, yeah. you know, it's not, mm-hmm. it, you know. I, I, I didn't really even know, so that's fine. Cool. So yeah. you've so you've created the rough cut, which is a tight cut. Yeah. What happens then? Well, the rough cut is kind of a rough cut forever until you finish it in a way. So on a film like this, we haven't even got a rough cut yet. We've got a lot of stuff done, but we haven't got an end. We've, we've not there isn't an ending. We just haven't got to it, and it's quite complex. So, and like I said, it's it's embarrassing. After 16 weeks, you know, we haven't actually done the end yet. So, uh, but if you looked at a film like Maradona or something, you know, you're talking about like two and a half years yeah. of editing, you know. Yeah. So, I'm not the, it's not the worst. But, uh, yeah, so uh, there isn't a rough cut yet, is what so, I'm saying. So, there's a lot of really good, really well cut, you could call it fine cut stuff, mm-hmm. but there isn't a, a rough cut yet. But if you would have one, let's say, 100 mm. minute, you said, yeah. and usually commissioned, they have, they say it's between 75 or 90 minutes. Yeah, so you have to cut down the last 10 minutes or? Who, who knows? Yeah. I mean, the problem is like you might present something you think is good and it's rubbish. 
You okay. Know, or, <laughs> or you might present something that sometimes I've done the, the odd film that was meant to be 60 yeah. minutes and they've said, oh, let's make it into 75 or okay. longer or something. So yeah. you don't always know what the film is and what people want. And sometimes things happen in the film that then make the film more relevant or less relevant. Mm-hmm. I've done films I finished didn't even go out because something happened. But most oftentimes, uh, you'll, uh, you'll do a rough cut, you'll have a viewing, and as long as it's above average, you'll be all right. People will be on your side, and they'll be saying, oh, yeah, I can see, you know, let's see where you're going taking shape. Yeah, what all that say, sort of yeah. stuff, yeah. <laughs> I want to know more, and they always want to know more, and everyone want to know less. I want to know more about this person or that thing or whatever it is, so mm-hmm. they want to know all that stuff. And then you'll end up with another sort of 15 minutes you've got to shoehorn in, which will be a really annoying because then you'll be well over. So then you've got to then take out at least 10 minutes again because you really want to be at a sort of presentable length. There's mm-hmm. no point in showing a two-hour rough cut for a one-hour film, I don't think. Yeah. You know. uh, and, then, and then the process sort of continues down that road until you get something that hopefully the commissioning editor likes, hopefully the director likes and producer likes, and hopefully mm-hmm. I like. But that... But the main, the key to any of these things is to have a rough cut that's like above average, because otherwise you're in trouble. They'll just, they'll just screw you. They'll screw you straight away, yeah. and they'll monster you. Do this, do that. You know. So once everyone's happy with the edit, what's the technical process? You you take it through to get it ready to sell it. Uh, well, I suppose a lot of things are pre-sold and stuff. So Dark Horse, for instance, had. Um, distributor on board and everything before we even started. Sony ended up buying it at Sundance, but that was just this sort of American wing of it, whatever you call it. I mean, what's the technical things? You have, so you have to cut, you have to oh, do to a final ready, grade, so, and oh, okay, right. So, so you, you've done your cut, uh, you finish the film, everyone's happy, you've had your champagne, <laughs> and uh, well deserved, you know. and then, yeah, and then um, so there's various things. So obviously, you've got picture and sound. So mm-hmm. the sound is taken straight out of the Avid. All the sound in the Avid is full broadcast quality, just taken off the rushes, so it's all at 44K, whatever. Mm-hmm. So they just take an export of that sound with handles, so they've got a bit more room. So every cut, they take it. So they don't just take that blob of sound, they take that blob of sound, and they don't just take that blob of sound, they take that. So they take more sound than they need to. Mm-hmm. I haven't described that very well. Uh, and then that all goes off to the audio department, and then they will have between you know, an hour and uh, three months to sort it all out. They'll add sound effects. They'll work with some of the music stems. They'll uh, start to clean up things. It's amazing what you can take out of sound now. It's, it's incredible. Um, you know, you can really make things quite good that you couldn't make good not that long ago. Uh, so they'll work on all that. So they'll make sure all the pictures are there, which is much more of an ask than it sounds <laughs> because they've got to like go and find all the originals for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've got a big archive film, that can be quite a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they've got to make sure all the frame rates are right and the aspect ratios are right and all that sort of stuff. It's a big deal. It might be dropout on them or, you know, mm-hmm. what resolution are they all at? And there's a 4K delivery or 2K mm-hmm. or HD or whatever it is. And when you've got all that, you'll then go into the grade. And the grade will be, you know, minimum a day, I'd say, for a, a sort of half hour to an hour film for a TV. But like I said, for a cinema thing, it's what we're talking about. Probably talking about three days for sort of lower end cinema thing. Uh, some of that Molinaire, some are really good, but does them all the time. Mm-hmm. So you're just sat back at that point and you're like, well, guys, just take care of this. I might. Place. So, so I, try, I try and I don't necessarily always visit all those places. So what I try and do is go for the review of the grade. Because for me, the grade's like the thing I'm least interested in because it always looks all right. Whenever I go to a grade, it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, that was good. That looks do. better. <laughs> so I'm always fine with that. Yeah. 
but sound is my thing. So mm-hmm. I'm always there for a lot of the sound stages um, because I really love sound and I think it's so important that that's my... And you said you do a little bit sound effects yourself. Yeah, so on trying, my, little, yeah. um, my little solid state drive here, I've got about half a terabyte of sound effects okay. that sort of travel around with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, I mean, I just put a waterfall in today and a sheepdog. <laughs> and you know just whatever or it's got weird ones yeah. on or it's got but it, but sound effects that you recorded yourself oh, no, or no, made no, yourself no, or just no, found just just uh, acquired over the years okay yeah okay. yeah so you go to these different places and sometimes there's sound effects just sitting on the desktop mm-hmm. sometimes someone will you'll do a little bit of black market trading with someone and you'll get some <laughs> uh you know i've got this amazing cow yeah. horn you can have <laughs> stuff like yeah. that so um, yeah, and it's just really handy because it really can it really can make a difference in a film, um, especially yeah. a cinema film because you've got a bit more breathing space and it's bigger and the sound the speakers are bigger and everything's bigger, you know you want to make it worth people spending their ten quid to go to the cinema so it's got to sound good and the more I can do, even if I strip all my stuff off which I often do, and replace it with other stuff at least we know that that gap was created and that sound effect you know that sort of sound will work filling that gap mm-hmm. so the film i did without music um i had to do make music out of sound you know i had to create gaps for sound effects and without them I, well i couldn't have done it mm-hmm. i wouldn't have even offered it up if i didn't have the tools to do it yeah so then the technicals are done and that's off to the producers to then yeah they have a review so you have a review if it's a cinema doc you, you watch it in cinema twice usually so you probably have a grade review and then maybe you'll have two, depends. Then they'll do the mix, and they'll put the mix minus sort of half a day's work onto the pictures, and then you'll go and watch them again in the cinema. Um, and you'll say yes and no, and you'll write a list of stuff. And the dubbing mix is often there, so you can chat with him. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, then you've got a little bit of tweaking time at the end to kind of just get the last things right. And then they make a thing called DCP, Digital Cinema yes. Print, um, which is a very clever bit of kit, and that becomes your print, your 35mm print that you used to put in the projector. Mm. What's that, sorry? So the a DC... It's just a drive right. with a Digital clever program. cinema package. Yeah, with a clever <laughs> sort of program on it. So basically, it will let you play the film with captions or without captions or with Bulgarian dialogue or, or it will let you play it only between the hours of 6 and 7.30 on a Wednesday night or whatever. It's, very, it's got very clever sort of security and creative sort of parameters that you can... Who creates that package? So that's something you export in? Molin, yeah, so Molinaire, for instance. I, I think they do them here. It's a bit of software. So, yeah, the, you just create them. And so for, for lots of films, I've, I haven't got them myself, but they'll have Greek subtitles and they'll have French subtitles and German subtitles. And you could just then do that. Or if there's a shot that you've changed, you can actually have the shot. You can just stick the shot in the drive and it, when it gets to that point, it'll just play that shot and then carry on. And so cinemas would use it, right? All like cinemas mostly. use yeah. them, yeah. And also because there's got great security you know they can literally lock it down to mm-hmm. just playing within one slot um, on one day mm-hmm. and if you don't play it in that period then you can't play it so you can't pirate it mm-hmm. okay so stepping away from the practical part and talking about the story and <laughs> storytelling so in our uh, storytelling podcast we heard a lot about opening with impact right do you how do you approach in terms of the story how do you approach yeah. your film uh well what i do is i hate pre-titles and things like that i think mm-hmm. they're evil mm-hmm. and should be abolished <laughs> and i never do i never do them um in terms of the sort of you know the t- tv thing yeah. but everyone wants something that gets you into the 
film that's engaging and like exactly what you're talking about. So I try and create a, I, I find a scene in the film usually which is dramatic and interesting and kind of uh, in somewhere or other either does encompass the whole film mm-hmm. or you can make it encompass the whole film. You could angle it in a way that you can use it. So in this case, in this film, we're starting with a massive sermon in the mm-hmm. O2. So you're thinking, you know, wow, yeah, this is big, you know, mm-hmm. and we've got various people saying various things. Um, so it, or, or in Dogging Tales, we started with a car driving off into the forest at night and mm-hmm. lots of crazy, weird stuff happening. And so you, you, you want to take people into your world mm-hmm. um, and you want to show people the world that you're you're going to show you want to show them the bits of the best mm-hmm. bit and you want people to say oh you know that looks good it's quite straightforward really i guess i mean in in, in the peter sellers film i just finished that ended up being a film about a film about a film <laughs> because mm-hmm. we started off with a, a sort of weird opening title sequence which was the director like directing himself in a documentary about a film mm-hmm. <laughs> which is quite odd took even took me a minute to get my head around it mm-hmm. but once we'd done that and we made we'd had fun with it it became quite fun way of showing how we, we were saying this film's stupid it's all made up but it's a documentary and it's all true so people didn't quite know what to think but you know it's not straightforward you want people to know it's not what they expect because that's boring mm. are there any common challenges or mistakes you feel especially maybe young filmmakers make and and you already know oh no that person um, forgot as usual to well, do this and this it's so and hard that. to say because I don't really see that many kind of like new okay. things. I tend to kind of watch top end stuff like mm-hmm. on Netflix or whatever, like everyone mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. But it's for me, it's all about creativity. If you can show creativity in any realm, do it mm-hmm. without music, do it without sound, or show something that you think will be sad, but it's not sad, it's funny, or mm-hmm. something you think is funny, but in fact it's sad. Tragic comedies are always good fun, you know, or, or tragic or, or, or tragic films that are funny. Mm-hmm. Don't just go for serious films where everyone dies. That's my, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's my sort of, that's my only sort of bugbear really. Is that a lot of people want to make films about really mental tragic. health, mental health that aren't that don't have any light. It's all dark, yeah. you know, or whatever it might be. I think you've got to have light and dark. That's what the whole <laughs> world is about. Uh, and without that, I think as a piece of entertainment, it's not going to work. Have you ever worked on a project where? You know what the film's about, but then when you get the material, there's something within the material that you don't agree with. You, you don't. You would prefer not to edit because it it contains something to do with abuse or or whatever. Have you ever been in that situation where you've come across something that you just don't want to edit? I've done things that are unpleasant, like seal clubbing. That's pretty bad. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or fur how farming. You, how do you get through editing something like that? Well, just... it's just like anything. It's like. Um, I mean, my wife's a doctor and, you know, she's seen some mm-hmm. pretty grim stuff. She works in the hospice. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, you just get, I, I get used to it. I'm not a particularly empathetic person, which is weird because I make quite empathetic films. <laughs> so, um, but I, you, you watch something. So once you've seen the first seal being clubbed, feel free to, you know, YouTube one. It's pretty oh, grim. Oh, yeah, it's pretty grim, and they kind of like <laughs> they kind of like skid them live on the almost live on the uh, on the ice and things, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's awful. But then once you've done that for a couple of days, you, you, you get just, used to it. You're numb to it. You just get you just get used to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and then you say, oh, that's not as good as that shot, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and that's because it's not as good as that shot. <laughs> um, but have there been things? So sometimes the other thing you're talking about is like not putting something in. 
And I suppose what editing is really is like not putting everything in, almost everything in. Mm -hmm. That's literally, it's not putting yeah. the good stuff in. It's like <laughs> not putting all the crap in. But um, yeah, sometimes someone will say something, one of your main characters, like they might be a Nazi or, you know, they might be, who knows what they might be. They might have beaten up their wife. They might have, I don't know, they might, who knows? There's a thousand things yeah. they might do that you find abhorrent. But if you put that in, that fact, then that will cripple your character. Mm -hmm. so you don't put it in on the whole unless you want to cripple your character mm -hmm. and most you know most people have got skeletons and all that and most people on tv are you know are, are sort of heightened characters mm -hmm. but um yeah you would you would you would often leave something like that out to, to for your film to carry on being the film you were hoping it was going to be mm -hmm. and it's not saying you're not sharing the truth because you are because i don't know what the truth is anyway someone's done something a while ago and then someone's filmed something they give me something and I don't know what's real or not real <laughs> but I'm just sort of putting something together with a director who says this happened and someone else says that happened and it was 50 years ago you know I don't know but equally you, you used to be sabotaging your own film have you got any advice on on things that can really help elevate a film like any tips I know that we talked off camera about the fact that it's quite therapeutic I think anyway to to clean up audio and interviews, yeah. get rid of the ums and ahs, and you can actually save a lot of time doing yeah. that. Is, is there anything else like that that you can think of that, that um, helps out? Handy things that make something, I suppose. Uh, I mean, one, one thing you can do is you can, you can put a, a film, I mean, this takes like five milliseconds, put a film in Cinemascope. So, you know, you put it in, this is a, called a 235 crop, and that's the kind of standard crop that you would use on a kind of cinema documentary. So you can see... The picture actually looks like that, um, but when you, you put it in a crop, um, that's not a very good example. Cause that so you work. play it back in, so a different, in a different size, a it's, size yeah, that... Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's letterboxed. So that is one way for five and a half seconds work. You can make something look more filmic. It does. Straight away, <laughs> it looks like a I mean, if I, if I, you know, If I go back to the rushes on that... So you can see, in fact, in that case, uh, not only have I graded the shot, but I flopped it. Um, and I've moved it and I put it in a crop. So I've done four things to that shot, totally random yeah. thing. So it, it takes a long time. So, yes, yeah, so I would say try a crop. It's not necessarily, you know, right or good. It's just something you can do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> getting rid of all ums and ahs, 100%, you'll thank, everyone will thank you for it and you'll be happier when you watch it. Then pacing those words. Don't just let all of, just because someone says a sentence doesn't mean the sentence has to either A, B in that order mm -hmm. or B at that speed. If you've got a nice piece of music under it, you might want to slow it down. Take it easy with that sentence or make them set faster sometimes, you know, sort of a bit of each. Yeah. Um, I tend to pace things quite a lot because it's quite easy to do and it's sort of fun. It's fun sort of messing with pace because pace is obviously what you give to a film. Once you've got the story, you then give it pace. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it starts to become a, a film. We talked a little about about the opening and how it's important to really grab people, but do you have any advice about ending a film? I know that every film is different, but do you have? Do you, is there certain things that you look for to try and find a, an ending to a film? Um, well, I quite like ending slightly tragically, but then giving it a twist, so that a little funny bit afterwards. Mm -hmm. So quite a few films I've done have been. Because my favourite films are sort of, like I said, sort of funny and tragic. So the first half would be funny because that's the easiest way to draw people in. Mm -hmm. People like funny stuff. 
And then once they're, they're engaged with the characters and the story, you then sucker punch them and you say, but in fact, it's all tragic, isn't it? And then that can then carry on for, you know, until, until the end of the film, but not quite, because you don't really want to leave people like blubbing at the end. I don't. Um, so then I'll try and find something that will pick it up again and kind of give you a bit of sort of buoyancy and uh, a bit more fun at the end. So you kind of remember the fun you had watching it. So you end on a bit of a... You a end on something. It, can yeah. be, it doesn't have to be big. It just has to be not like the stuff before it. It has to be more lighter or, uh, you know, more silly or... Why is that? Is that just because you want the audience to go away and, and I think I think it's just like happier about it. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of that, a little bit of like remembering that you liked the film. It wasn't all hard work, and just the fact I think people in general want people to sort of succeed or to be all right, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I quite like the fact that if you if your last person's kind of all right, you sort of think the other people might be all right in the end. Okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> To summarize a little bit of the storytelling part, so uh, you said the main part that makes up the story are the interviews. Mm. What else? What else are you looking like once you've seen the footage? Like, what else are you looking in the so, footage? Yeah, what, so what are you looking for? Are your, um, well, it, depend, it really depends on the sort of film. There's two sort of, sort of film, really. There's mm-hmm. past tense stories and observational mm-hmm. documentaries. Mm-hmm. So, the, I mean, this is really an observational film. Um, so, in this case, watch all the interviews and then. Um, you're looking at what scenes support you, the interview and what interviews support the scenes. Mm-hmm. So what you'll then do is go to some scenes of people that you've watched and liked, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll probably just start with the best one or something, because it's always best to start, I think, with the easiest. Mm-hmm. You'll cut that and you'll say, oh, you know, I remember he talked about squirrels back there and this scene's about, you know, badges. Let's see if we can <laughs> put them together. You know, it's that sort of thing. So it's really Lego-y stuff at the beginning. You're just blobbing stuff out, literally. Mm-hmm. And you might just pick up some words and dump them in there. Or I don't know, just keep trying, just keep chucking crap at the wall mm-hmm. until things start to sort of stick. And then what you can do, which is good and bad, is you can make these little kind of blobs of things, these little sort of modules that mm-hmm. are quite successful. Like you can make a five minute thing and think, oh, that's not bad. But you're then reluctant to unpick it because <laughs> it works. But often you have to unpick it because that was three months ago you made that and it's no longer relevant to the story you're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. But I'll try and make a lot of those blobs because then people can see, oh, yeah, yeah, I see what he does. Why do you see what she does? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, people can get it then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And once people can sort of get stuff, then the conversation kind of starts. Mm -hmm. But until people sort of can see things, they don't really quite know what they're talking about yeah. so it's good, great to have stuff to talk about it doesn't take long to make and you're not wasting time because like I said again you know almost all editing is wasting time <laughs> apart from <laughs> the last you know, the 90 minutes you watch mm-hmm. and it's amazing how long it takes and we, we don't mess around in this, in this room you know we just work like all the time mm-hmm. apart from a bit of American dad <laughs> uh, but it just takes forever to make something this is a really hard one mm-hmm. yeah sometimes they're easy but this is a really hard one and, you have, and you've, I've made a lot of blobs of things but I haven't got to the end yet. But I would imagine a documentary, I know mm. it's a really hard um, job to write a script beforehand. So it's like more yeah. of an idea and well, then you if, go out with that idea. Yeah, but again, if you're doing a past tense story, you'll have, yeah. you'll have a script you'll have because a script. You'll know, you know what's happened. It's about something that happened. It's about Nelson yeah. or it's about, I don't know, uh, the 1947 Grand Prix or something, you know, so you know the story. So you have the story, but then shaping that story is still part of your work. Of course, but um, that's, if you've got transcripts and stuff, it's pretty easy to bang that out into a script. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even if it's rubbish, what you tend to do is make that, you'll just like 
the director says, I've got, I've got a sort of sink pool for the film. Mm-hmm. So I say, all right, brilliant, you know, let's make it. So you make it, and then you've got something to talk about. So it's always best to have something to talk about. Even if it's rubbish, you can yeah. say, well, that's not very good, is it? <laughs> it doesn't take long <laughs> yeah. to make a sink pool and just watch it through. Because you know... Sorry, sorry, what's a sink pool? Oh, a sink pool is just the um, words. Okay. Just the words people say. Mm-hmm. So literally, just someone says five sentences about the uh, the starting line, and then someone says three words about the when they took off and the light went green, and then someone else says ten sentences about the first lap. And you just literally bung those down on the timeline. No pictures, just the person speaking. And you could have that on Dark Horse. We had a two-hour one, you know, quite a sophisticated mm-hmm. one um, that was the full story, like, in detail, told by the people, you know, well well cut. So completely watchable. I noticed that you don't... Oh, you do. You have some post-it notes there. I I've seen editors with, like, a, a mountain of post-it notes. I do, do not you not... I never even, I never even turn that way. Do, do you use post, no, post-it never. notes and, and, no. and craft the story no. out? No. No, it's, no, it's all in your head. Is that... I, well, it's all in the head or on there. Or yeah. in, the suite, in the edit suite. Yeah. Because things just, like, if something works, you know when something works. It's a bit like anything. You know when something's good or a joke's funny or whatever it is. Or if a joke's not funny... But you know it should be funny. Then it's not. It's not. And there's a lot of that in this film at the moment. A yeah. lot of things that should be funny, which aren't funny, which I'm work, working okay. really hard on to try and make funny. I suppose the benefits of the post-it notes is that you can swap things around and change the order quickly or easily. And it's like a, a different way of looking at it rather than yeah. the editing suite. Some but but you it. but you can just have it in the edit suite then in terms of your blobs and your sequence, your master sequence, and you can play around with it in there. Is that what you prefer to yeah, do? Yeah, some people love post-it notes, and I've got nothing against them. It's just I don't, I don't use them because they're too much of a faff because they get out of date in milliseconds. You know, if you're not, like, almost got to stand there changing like a game show <laughs> while I'm, you know, fiddling around all the time. Yeah, so just for so. the listeners, some, some directors like to uh, map out the whole story and the film journey with singular post-it notes um, holding... Uh, a note for each story beat and each maybe character or situation or whatever yeah and and then they like to get up and they like to move those post-it notes around to change the shape of the story and to view it that way and to figure it out that way but it sounds as though you can do that as well in the editing suite if you, you can but some people are, are more well I don't know if you call it visual I don't know but they like to see things written down and I, I don't write stuff down my friend Ben writes everything down so you know, lots of people are just different, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's safer on the computer, I could imagine at times. It's, it's a few post-it notes fall off the wall and then you're a bit stuck. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, sometimes when you move them, the cleaner comes in and they don't put it back. <laughs> and that, and that has happened quite a few times. Really? Yeah. It they just move go, them it just goes. also. <laughs> they just go. So I think now they take photos of things before they move them. <laughs> Editing can be a very mentally exhausting job. How do you unwind after a very long edit? Well, because I cycle, like I said, um, I've just got that to concentrate on going home, people trying to kill you on the way home. And so if you're not 100% on the ball... So exercise is a big... Exercise is a good thing. And also, uh, I'm just not that fussed. Like, I love... I just see it as a brilliant job. I just love it as a job. It's not like my life. It doesn't sort of define me. Um, I don't think. Maybe it does. But uh, I just love doing it. But I also love not doing it. But when I get home, I often, you know, I have a go of ping pong or something or do something with the kids. I've got four kids, although they're older. 
uh, or I'll watch, you know, like I said, Kirby Enthusiasm or whatever it might be, or Star Trek or, you know, who knows what, yeah. but, um, or Cook, whatever. But I don't really, on the whole, I don't dream about work or don't worry about work because it's only a TV program, you know. So it's all gonna be right at the end. Do you, do you have a cutoff point? So do you feel as though, oh my god, I'm maxed out today, this, and this is my sometimes. Point. Yeah, sometimes I go home at five or something, but I don't really ever do much more than that, and I don't really work late because I don't think you get much of a result, especially on a long job working late. Sure, maybe if you've got a viewing and then think, oh my god, look, if we did this, that'd be brilliant. Sometimes if you make, you know, if you've got a really big viewing the next day, you have to make a an export of the film, mm. so you have to make sure, so sometimes you have to check that because it's pretty embarrassing if it if you've got a glitch in it in front of like the head of the BFI and all that. <laughs> so, um, But you try not to max yourself out, basically. Well, I don't really max myself out, no, no. But I might be unusual in that. I've seen other well, people do themselves out. I, I yeah. do personally <laughs> as well, but I, I probably shouldn't because it's, it's so much harder to edit the next day. I yeah, think. and maybe I used to, yeah, I mean, I used to do 80-hour weeks when I was 18, 19. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to just live at work, literally. Sometimes I used to sleep in the edit suite. Sometimes, so really, yeah, but I, sleeping I, bag and no, no, just well, just one, on pla- floor, one place, just had, one place had a sleeping bag. <laughs> one place had a sleeping bag because it wasn't worth going home, even though I only lived half an hour away. It just wasn't worth going home, yeah. and I had a shower there and stuff. Uh, and and then when you're 18, 19, you don't care because it's just like fun and like you're having a laugh and and you're getting yeah, and you're getting a bit of like three pounds an hour overtime. <laughs> um, but now, no, forget about it. Now I'm the sort of opposite, but so, uh, sure I must have earned that by now. <laughs> sort of be able to just like leave and say sorry, I'm off. But like I said, having it at home does mean that if I do have a brainwave, which I never yeah. do, I can just switch it off, switch it on at home, and bang, you know, I've I've done it, um, which is a really handy thing right. to have. So so I can, I can, you know, maybe once or twice on a film I'll have a brainwave and and do a bit of fiddling at home, um, and that's. That's great to just do it, and then you could just beam it off, and then the director's happy, you're happy. Other than that, just cycle home and watch Kirby Enthusiasm, and you're sorted. Yeah, I mean, it's not much better than that, is it? Glass, yeah. of, glass of white. <laughs> <laughs> what are your top tips for editing? Do you for editing or, or yeah. for becoming an editor? Both. <laughs> yeah, but if you've got top three tips for both, we start with becoming uh, an editor. Well, I, um, becoming an editor, yeah. Becoming, yeah. I suppose it's like it's like everything, isn't it? It's that ability. It's it's like ability, mm-hmm. affability, <laughs> uh, luck, talent, contacts. Those are the kind of five things you sort of need, really. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose they can sort of drop away a bit as as you get better and more people know you. But you definitely need a lot of luck because you need someone to spot you, or you need to be in the right place at the right time to put yourself up for a job or to or you get offered the perfect job or you know obviously all jobs have got luck you get less lucky as you get better like sports people you know <laughs> they'll get holes in one because they're rubbish um getting on with people incredibly important if you don't get on with someone for me that's it you know different people are different I'm, I'm lucky i can just i could leave t- this job today and have a new one on monday no problem uh, but it's really important talent yeah i mean i guess i just loved I just love editing. I love it, you know. So and I'm quite good at it, and it's because it's all I've done, literally, all my life. <laughs> so, so and I, I love making stuff. I love being entertained. I love entertaining people. Mm-hmm. So, that's it. Sort of love, love and talent. I don't know if it's the same thing or not. But and also, you know, wanting to learn more, wanting to find out 
about what's going on around. And I do a lot of judging. Of, um, I, work, I do the Grierson's and so called the Biffers and the BAFTAs. And so you end up watching like 60 feature docs a year. Mm-hmm. So wow. mm-hmm. it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and a lot of them are, are, are pretty good. You know, not all of them. <laughs> but, but even the bad ones have got good bits in them or, or they've got brilliant graphics or great use of music or mm-hmm. something else. You know, so there's, all, there's always that, just like watch stuff. You mm-hmm. know, you can't really watch too much stuff, I, I always think. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard. Because even if you just get half an idea for something, that can stick. Or even if, even if it's just like, oh, I wonder if we could do something like that. Or I like the way they didn't use music there. Or whatever it is. Or I like the way they filmed that upside down. Or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, that can really um, stick with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and context, yeah. I mean, I do a little bit of mentoring and stuff. And I think it is really good. I enjoy it. And... I'm happy to speak to people more. Once I've done that, I often keep in touch with them. And if I can get them a little bit of running work here or there or something, you know, I, I do that. So I'm happy. So because I know how hard it is when I started. I mean, when I started, there were four TV channels and that was it, you know, mm-hmm. and there were no independent production companies at all. Yeah. <laughs> so there's BBC and there was Thames TV and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really, really hard to get a job really hard people think it's hard now it was really hard back then and also it's unionized and nepotism was like massive mm-hmm. uh you know your, your dad was a sound bloke so you're a sound bloke mm-hmm. you know <laughs> so yeah that was really hard so but, but still i think contacts just make such a colossal difference and if you can just try and speak to people and try and make uh, some sort of connection with mm-hmm. people in the field and most people in the field are happy to sort of chat so networking's a, such a big thing yeah, in the industry yeah, um, so. so you can always find a film competition like Doc mm. in the Day <laughs> or cinema social event that the LDA yeah. get the London Documentary Network guys I think it's run, massive so. you know it really yeah. is I mean in, in lots of ways it's the biggest one mm. you know and it's the hardest one and also if you don't live in London which most people don't how the hell do you afford to sort of be here mm-hmm. you know when you're getting runner's wage if you're lucky you're a runner for a, a, yeah. you know 200 quid a week or whatever it is it's not livable it's not livable I don't know how you do it <laughs> I know how they literally I, I'm lucky I lived in London all my life you know I was living at home it was easy I was thinking they must be from London and have family here so they can afford not to pay yeah. for accommodation it's the only way I, yeah. can, mm-hmm. I can imagine it it's horrible so I don't know how people from out of town do it you know, but you can. Do I don't it. know either. You can. And, do I, it. and <laughs> I'm trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, bloody, it's bloody hard. What are your top three practical tips? So we've talked a lot about. Uh, practical I would stuff. say uh, yeah. So um, in terms of uh, just if you're sort of starting out, I would say edit anything: wedding videos, cat videos, grab <laughs> stuff off YouTube, edit that. You know, try and find creative solutions to because all all editing is is just problem solving. That's it. The whole thing's a problem. And you try and solve it in some way that doesn't look like it was sort of solved. Mm-hmm. It's just like like that's what it was all the time. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing's a problem. And some of the problems are big and some are small. Some are annoying. Some are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but that all is just experience, just like endlessly editing stuff, endlessly trying things out. And, and knowing that means you then obviously know what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So when you're starting out, just try and edit everything you can. Get old movies, take the dialogue off. I don't know. Put your own on. One of my favourite ones of those is there's a, I don't remember Dancing in the Streets, which is a David Bowie, uh, a Mick Jagger song. Have a look at it. Mm-hmm. And someone took the music off it and just did the foley, the sound effects of the footsteps and the clapping right. and the dancing and stuff like that. <laughs> so a brilliant, brilliant yeah. use of like, all they do is they got the video yeah. and they just spent ages doing sound effects themselves. Yeah. Um, and it's just perfect. I think it's got like three million views or something, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that sort of thing, brilliant. If you can just keep doing that sort of stuff, you just can't do enough. 
stuff or edit pe- things for people, offer it up. You know, you can't do too much work. Um, you can't do too much editing. Get Avid. I wouldn't really get anything else. And edit with your shoes off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a shoes off kind of guy. But I haven't had any complaints yet. But, uh, that's but, that's uh, true. I haven't, I haven't had a bad odour in this room yeah. yet, so that's fine. But uh, yeah, so that's one tip. Um, yeah, Avid is, is... I think you can get it free. I think there's a one called Avid First, which I think is free. So mm-hmm. you can download that and then just use that. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mess around at the moment. Maybe things will change in the next year or two, but you know. So in terms of soft software, start as start as you mean to go on. If yeah. you want to do get feature avid. docs, then maybe start with a an avid software. Well, it's it's hard to say if you want to get into feature docs because I don't know how many. I mean, there aren't many of us. Oh, small field. Yeah, there aren't many people that do them, and they, but there are, there are a lot of feature docs out there. So they're always clamouring for people. And it's so hard to get a break because if you haven't done one, no one thinks you can do one. You know, mm-hmm. That's the problem because it is a big jump from a 60 to a 90 yeah. because it's usually the last bit, which is, in fact, it's the hardest bit, the last sort of half where you're like yeah. thinking, well, it's 60 minutes now. It's like, you know, what, what happens next? Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the biggest problem. I don't quite know how, how did I make the break? I just did one, I think. I think I was, I think that's right. I was doing a 60... I was doing 360s, which they wanted to make into one two-hour film. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of did it, and that was it. And then, I mean, I've done a three-hour film now. So, <laughs> you know, but that's how I just, just again, luck. Just that's what happened on that film. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And, um, yeah, we, we hope to have you back on the show at some point. Great, sure. yeah, and good luck to everyone. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it is a lot of fun. So, you know, as long as you don't mind sitting down all day in a small room with no windows open. Uh, Yeah, you should have fun.